Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined once again by Josh Holtz. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me again. I will see you in person in a few weeks, and we'll be talking about that. But we'll start talking. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. I'm Josh Holtz. I've been the lead maintainer of Fastlane since 2018. Core contributor since 2015. Revenue Cat is my full-time day job right now. I work on mostly things related to Apple App Store, Google Play. It might be SDKs, it might be APIs, front-end, whatever our team needs. And then uh, I'm also hosting a Swift and iOS conference called Deep Dish Swift in 29 days. I also work on Indie Dev Monday, which is a newsletter for indie devs. And then I also have some indie apps as well. Not everything always takes equal priority all the time, but I switch off here and there because that does sound like a lot. Yeah, it does. It does a bit. Yeah. So you're, I want to talk a bit. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today, but I want to start off by talking about Fastlane. And we talked about this a few months ago, but you, there's been some stuff on Twitter about it, but just like, how does the maintaining work and like, how is it funded and that kind of stuff? Because there's some questions about whether there's other ways that can be maintained and flexible because i know i'll just start off saying fast lane's awesome i love it so it's like pretty much the only way to do ci with getting an app in the app store yeah what's like the future of fast lane when it comes to maintenance and funding and all that stuff yeah so i'll give a little bit background history first on like fast lane's ownership and that kind of stuff so i guess going back to 2015 felix started fast lane back in it was actually probably like 2014 but it was open source, just his. It got big, popular. It got acquired by Twitter, and then under the Fabric arm of Twitter, and then Google bought Fabric for like Firebase stuff, and Fastlane came with it. So Google took control in 2017, I believe, uh, and did a had a whole team around it. Did a like huge, amazing version of it, version two, which kind of combined all the different tools into one major tool. So that was super awesome. At that time, Fastlane and Google was also working on a CI product, which is actually open source still. It's archived on the Fastlane GitHub org. But at that time, most of the team was working on the CI. So I was brought in as a part-time contractor to do the maintenance of the actual like tool itself. So I did part-time maintaining through Google from 2018 to 2020. My contracting gig ended after two years because Google policy stuff. So I actually ended up becoming a Google vendor for a year and a half and worked on Fastlane full-time. But then I changed to work at RevenueCat about a year ago or so, just because it was getting hard to deal with getting that vendor relationship. It was becoming quite difficult to deal with and i want something a little more stable so i'm still lead maintainer but i'm not working on it full time and getting funded by google anymore but i was the only one getting funded directly since i was working on it full time we do have a pretty awesome core team but all of their time is donated has been by themselves for the last five years or so 
but also my time in the past year and a half has also been just out of my free time as well. There isn't really hasn't been in the past a good funding setup for it just because Google was did have their own team to support it and then it was going through contracting to me but there really hasn't been like any sort of like public donation towards it just because Google does own it. Um so the current status right now is there are a bunch of maintainers. I'm still maintaining it, but there's just no one full time getting paid to support it. So there's I know there's been talk about some full like mobile open source foundation and things like that. What's the story with that then as a possible way to to fund it? Yeah, yeah. So there's a so we've been I've been trying a few ways. One way would have been to open, like, an open collective for it, which is, like, GitHub sponsors, but a little bit easier to split among bigger teams. Okay. And I think Google does support donating to that. So that was one of my options if Google wanted to donate to that, and then we could split that among our core team. But then Google theoretically, not theoretically, Google still owns all the IP and GitHub repositories and stuff. But another option is, which is what Google's working on, which is, super amazing, is donating Fastlane to the Mobile Native Foundation. Okay. This is a open source foundation specifically set up for mobile stuff, hence the name. Created, I think it was created by Keith Smiley, who works at Lyft. It's been around for quite a few years. There's a handful of projects in it. A bunch of different people are involved with it. I think there's like 50 different organizations. And I've been trying to get Fastlane in it. For a while, it's really hard because there's no like huge proponent inside of Google right now to push that along. So this is something that like I've been wanting to do for probably about a year and a half, two years. But thankfully, Peter Steinberger, about a month or two ago, made some Twitter noise about about it, like the just our general maintenance speed right now and stuff, which is totally true. Like things have slowed mm -hmm. down. It's just because nobody is working on it full time. Right. So he made some noise, which I wasn't ready for, but <laughs> I absolutely loved it because it's what we needed to get it going. So after he made some noise, he opened a discussion on the Mobile Native Foundation GitHub org. And yeah, we actually got someone from Google or two on there. That actually said, hey, like there's actually movement inside. It's going along. It's getting in the like approval phases. And there's just a lot of legal and PR involved with it, even though ideally it should just be like, here's the code, here's the domain. That's pretty much all involved. But there is just a lot of like enterprise stuff that is involved. So it is going to be a slow moving process. But I don't think it's moving as slow as what I actually expected. We actually heard movement within five days. Nice. Which Twitter noise happened on a Saturday. We heard about stuff. There was a holiday on Monday. I think we actually heard movement on Tuesday or Wednesday. So considering like Google size, like that seemed like incredible speed to me. What? So that's kind of the state right now. We're in just a waiting phase of yeah. getting it all approved and then hoping that it actually does get approved and then transferring stuff over. What would you, in, in, in the best scenario, what would you like to see done with Fastlane, assuming everything moves smoothly? Yeah, so everything would get donated to Mobile Native Foundation, which actually is a sub-foundation of the Linux Foundation. Okay. So it has that foundation's whole support, donation system, all of that kind of stuff. So ideally, we would have a bunch of different companies who use it, support it, donate to it. We get this nice little fund. It actually doesn't need to be 
a lot, but that would give our whole core team time to actually like put aside and do stuff. So like we could probably pay somebody part time, three quarters time for the entire year to help maintenance issues, triage, keep things going. If some big change happened, we could probably ramp up to one and a half people for a bit to try and crunch new App Store Connect API changes or Google changes of some sort. So it would just give us a little bit more stability, or I guess not really stability, but like a constant amount of time actually being put on it and like our core team actually being rewarded is not the right word. Paid for their time? Rewarded for their time. Yeah. Because right now... Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, which it should be because it's a tool that's uh, pretty much industry standard for CI. mobile stuff. Yeah. yeah, and, like, it, uh and, like, I would still do stuff, but I don't want it to be just me. I don't scale well. Like, I still want to be lead. I don't necessarily need to be doing all the work all the time. Money does not need to go to me. I want to go to my team that actually can scale and yeah. just help improve all the parts yeah, of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about Fastlane? I think that's probably the biggest news right now. We definitely aren't releasing as as quickly as we need to right now. But luckily, like, most things have been, like, stable June. until tomorrow because I just said this. Things are going to break. I was going to say June. But since we are mostly using... <laughs> yeah. But since we are mainly using the App Store Connect API now for almost all of our things, like, thing like the... Apple side of things don't break as often unless you're using Apple ID and then there was yeah. a month ago where you got locked out yes. of your account, but that was a whole thing. But like, we, we definitely have a huge backlog of things we want to approve on. There's a lot of issues and PRs that are still coming in that we need to triage. And once, once we can actually dedicate more of our team's time, we can go through those a lot. And if anybody who's listening to this does want to help things move along, the money from like our users is not really the issue. But if people do want to help contribute, pull requests are huge. Look at issues that you might be able to solve. Like, we definitely appreciate every contribution that comes through, even if you're not, like, a Ruby expert or anything like that. Create the PR. We will still help, like, fix it, add commits to it, and make sure it gets merged in. But just having somebody who can help with that PR and test it themselves, because there's so many different use cases and things to set up. Like, just reviewing a PR isn't really just code. We pretty much have to test every single PR. Even though we do have unit tests, a lot of things are more like integration level where we do it to make sure like that service does work correctly and all these different build configurations, get this project set up the right way. So having people commit PRs who can also test those makes things move a lot quicker. Awesome. So that's a good way to contribute if you're a developer. I never thought about testing, but yeah, that makes total sense. If you want to test out a PR, that would be a great way to help. Yeah, there have been some that are like 10 lines of code, but in order to like to test it, you have to like get a Catalyst app built for Mac and then have that get submitted to the App Store and wait for the beta to get approved and then you can do a thing. Like that might be an extreme example, but there are times where like I I had to test something after it got approved for a test flight release, which requires it to do its processing and stuff. So some tests may take up to 30 minutes. And then when you have other life stuff going on, you're like, I'm just going to start this. And then it's like two days later. So <laughs> yeah. like, some of those testings, it gets yeah, 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 there's those of us who don't just do iOS apps who have Mac and watch apps. So I totally get it. I totally get it. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk about is a little app you've been working on that involves K2 
kid stuff playpen you want to yeah. i want to i've been interested in that not only as a parent and a developer but just like how guided access works and things like that you want to talk a little bit about the app and how that adventure has gone yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the app is currently in a little hiatus while I'm doing deep dish stuff because that takes priority. But I've been wanting to create like a kids app for some time just because I have two kids now. One is my son's a little over two. My daughter is six months. And like I don't want to give them like screen time all the time because that's apparently bad or something <laughs> like that. But they are going to take control of your phone. You're going to be in a car somewhere and like you just need time to sell them down or you're in airport or restaurant and you just need to distract yes. them a little bit. So I was like, I want to create a kid's app to just see that experience because all of my apps have been developer focused and it's cool, but I want something a little bit more broad. But I also wanted to create a Apple Watch app as well. Like I've never done that before. So I was waiting for the right time to create one. And then I was at the dub last year and it hit me like, oh, I can combine a kid's app and an Apple Watch app and solve two birds with one stone. The problem that came from this was we were driving a lot to the to my mother-in-law's house last summer, and my son couldn't really keep himself too occupied for the whole time. So we'd hand him our phone. He'd watch Sesame Street or something on YouTube. But as soon as it ended, he was, like, freaking out, <laughs> as I would too. And the phone did have guided access mode on so he couldn't hit next or back anything like that he could just hold the phone and be fine but it was usually stuck where he was and it was just this repetitive process of reaching back grabbing the phone from him unlocking it going to the next one or unpausing or something like that and handing it back and i'm like it'd be cool if we could just like remotely control what he's seeing on this locked phone okay and then like i was driving like one hand on the wheel and i'm like i have a watch on my wrist like, I can give him the phone, just toss the phone backwards behind me, and then I can control everything from here. Mm-hmm. So what Playpen is, it's essentially this app that has, like, little mini apps in it, which is YouTube is the big one that I use. You can uh, op- you can choose photos on your phone to watch, or I have this little soundboard that he can tap. But it's these small activities that you can give to your kid lock the phone, and you can actually remotely control what is actually on the phone from your Apple Watch. So if he wants, if he's in the mood for Sesame Street, I can just tap my watch, that'll start playing. If he wants to do the soundboard, tap my watch, that'll start playing for him. If he wants to watch a different YouTube, like Dino Train or Blippi or something like that, I can do that all from my watch. And, like, he's happy because... He is watching or playing with whatever he wants to do. I'm happy because he's happy. And then the phone's happy because it is locked and it, it's not, he's not going in and deleting apps, calling 911 or whatever kids do on the phone. So it's this fun little parent utility that I created that I thought was just for me, but it turned out that a lot of people actually also liked it as well. And my end goal is to have a whole bunch of different activities for them to do just besides YouTube, maybe little games, learning things, soundboards, nothing that is like super complex to make or for a kid to use that is, they're going to just be drawn in for the entire time because springtime is bad. But just that little like playpen time for when you're a parent and you need that little. Yeah. Yes. I'm quite familiar with that. Do you, okay. So a couple of questions. First, yeah. 
I guess first dad questions. How do you lock down what they can watch on YouTube? So the I'm actually using an iOS library. I think it's called YouTube Player or something like that. So I actually make use of that. So it's actually not through the YouTube app. Everything is through the Playpen app. Okay. And this YouTube Player, I think, just ends up launching YouTube in a web view. Yeah. And then yeah, the YouTube an API built around the that. The YouTube that Player can... API is totally JavaScript based. So yeah, you have to do a web view right now. Yeah. Oh, and it actually works out pretty well because you can do playlists. You can make it untouchable. You can go back and forth. Nice. It does do a pretty good job. There are times where it may not. It may end up like not loading properly, so you just have to restart the view or the YouTube player thing, okay. whatever it is. So yeah, I'm not really locking down into other apps. I wish I could because then I could go between like HBO Go right. and Netflix, but I'm pretty much only locked into what I can display in my. So my basically, app. you set up. Do you like set up a bunch of playlists? Oh, this is my Bluey playlist. This is my Coco Melon playlist. Exactly. Okay. And then you have an interface. Not Coco Melon because Coco Melon drives me crazy. <laughs> but uh, Miss Rachel, Sesame Street, Blippy, Dino Train. I did accidentally ran into Coco Melon last week, and I've always avoided it. And then I have like my six month old was just like absolutely enthralled by it. So unfortunately, that's an issue. Yeah. It accidentally came on and my son just glued to the TV. I'm just like, nope, nope. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta ban this from my TV. <laughs> what else was I gonna say? Oh, so the developer question is, I assume you're using watch connectivity, I guess, to talk to the phone or? Okay. Yes, correct. How was that experience? And how was the whole, I'm curious as somebody who's built watch apps, what's the experience with that and building the watch app overall and testing it? It actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay. I didn't expect to use watch connectivity. I thought I could just use like the shared preferences that were shared over like an mm -hmm. app group, but it turns out that the watch app does not get those. Okay. So that was, that was heartbreaking because that just seemed easy because then I could, if that worked, then I could actually make it work not just from watch to phone, but iPad to watch a little bit easier with just one system. That didn't work out. So I'm using watch connectivity, which means it right now it only goes phone from to the, the watch, phone yeah. to the watch. And it's actually not bad. I'm not actually sending, there's not a ton of back and forth right. really. There's one huge object that gets passed to the app that shows all the activities, all the options that you can choose from. And then you really just press a button on the watch. It sends like an ID over and then the app listens for that and then just changes what's on screen. I've had Personally, I've had very little connectivity issues between the watch and the nice. phone, but I'm not doing like a lot of streaming back yeah, and yeah, forth. Yeah. I'm sure if there's a lot of streaming, a lot of like other requests that depended on other requests, like it, it would probably turn into a disaster. But as the way it stands right now, it's really just like when the app loads, it sends one giant payload over of all the things. Do you use data or do you, you just tap on the watch? Do you send message dictionary or send message data? Oh man. I think it's probably dictionary. Usually it's dictionary. Uh, yeah. That's a thing. Or or I make it a codable and just send over okay. a string. I'm not re I'm not really sure which yeah. one I'm doing. It's been a while since I looked yeah, at that yeah, code. Yeah. Right now it just works yeah. the way it is. But uh, yeah, there was some playing around trying to figure out like what format to do, you know, all that kind of stuff. But whatever one I chose, it it's That's to awesome. Work out that's awesome. Well. So that's something you'll probably finish up after what we'll talk about next, right? I assume. Hopefully, what are you going to yes. do, though, if yeah. you're not finished by June and then you see there's a ton of stuff you can be doing with it? 
for iOS 17 and watch OS 10 and stuff. Are you going to be like, and it's going to get really, then it's going to get released in September, and it's going to require people to use the new iOS. Okay, so that's if it that's has what fun you... stuff. The good thing okay. is, I, the good thing is, I don't have any users yeah. right now, and it is something that I made for yeah. myself. So I really don't care like what the minimum version is. If I can go back a version without losing too much, great. I get a bigger customer base. If I have to go up to the new version that's not released yet, I really don't yeah. care because I don't have any users. So that makes total uh, sense. That's the best part about being a developer and also worst about a uh, worst part is I can make stuff for myself and I use it and I I'm not really looking for the big customer base yeah, at the moment. Yeah, it makes total sense. Before we get into pizza, what's the developer experience with guided access? Cuz I know so my experience with guided access is the same where it's I'll when we do screen time it's like I put on guided access and I put it on some app that they want or game that they want to use and then I give them an iOS device. That's like my dad experience with it, but I don't know as far as development, how guided access works. What does it give you? What does it tell you? So I wish there was more. I'm hoping for some more guided access things to be available for the next iOS version. Yeah. But if it's not, like I have a decent workaround and explanation for the users. So the worst part about guided access is mainly to get it using, like the way that most people probably use it is you go to accessibility and turn it on to your like triple tap of right. the home thing or power, button, the whatever, power yeah. button to enable it for the current app. Yeah, but the best way to do it, and I also provide something for this in the app, is there is a shortcut action to oh, start okay. it. So what I do is I actually have a, a playpen shortcut where you can choose where there's a an option to choose the activity that you want to open the app up to. So it could be a YouTube playlist that you could choose, the soundboard. So you can choose one of those and hard code that into the shortcut itself, okay. or you can have it prompt you with options. And then after that, there's a built-in shortcut action to start hide it okay. access mode, which is the easiest way to do it. So I actually have a shortcut on my home screen that I just single tap, loads playpen, get Hide access mode starts, and I actually set the volume to 30%. So it gets into this nice state of not too loud for him, but he can hear it. The screen's locked, and YouTube is up, and I just toss my phone towards him, and boom, it's the phone's in the perfect state. Got access is on, it's locked, and then I can control stuff through my through the Apple Watch app. That's awesome. I would love if there was a way to like in the app itself to enable it. There actually is an API for enabling guided access mode programmatically, but it requires like the enterprise MDM oh, permission. That makes sense. So like the technology is there, but just not for public Do use. So it would be nice if there was like an entitlement that you could gain for your app that that just like, do guided access. Get this yeah. guided access mode. Do you remember um, the drama from I, like a couple a of years that, ago about MDM and like parent apps? There was like, there used to be a whole. I did a little bit of MDM back in 2015. There there used to be like a whole bunch of apps, parent apps, where you can control your kid's iPhone. And I think like Apple was like, no, you can't do this. You can't use the MDM. That's probably. Yeah. So there's like that backstory because I totally remember that. Yeah, people like, oh, you should use this app for your kids so you can control their iPhone. And yeah, that's what they all did. They all used MDM stuff to like basically do it. And Apple was like, no, you can't do that. That seems like way over engineering though. Yeah, it is. It is. I had that set up. 
I had MDM set up for for a startup once where we had iPads and bars and stuff like. So we had to use MDM to deploy new versions, all that kind of stuff, and it was a headache. I would not like it. Made it makes sense on a business level. I don't want to do it on a parent yeah. level. Like that's. I'm already short on time. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with MDM yeah. stuff. But I'm hoping that maybe they release this maybe as an entitlement that you could do for your app. It, it requests a permission to like, hey, let me control this kind of thing. So yeah. apps just don't do it automatically but i have that'd be, be cool. i so yeah i have my six month old is my youngest and then my oldest i have a teenager now and now we're like starting to dip our toes into figuring out okay like how do they do their own device and that's when we start looking at like screen time so i had i actually bought recently a family mac i've never had a family mac all my macs have been for work and like we set up an yeah. Apple ID so they they can log in and screen time on the Mac. So I'm like starting to dip my toes into how to like restrict the phone and stuff. And restrict in this case restrict the Mac. For that yet. I'm not ready yeah, for that I know. Yet. Oh, and it's yeah, we're <laughs> okay. But I don't want to get in too much on the show on a personal sidebar. But we're we've been trying to avoid buying any iOS device for them for as long as possible. But now it's like we got broken Kindles, broken MP3 players. And it's, man, if there's only a device that can do all that for them. And it's like, oh, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to deal with it. It's like we got a high schooler who might text message us for rides until she can drive. And Anyway, so, yeah, I'm really interested in this whole space. And I feel like, yeah, Apple's kind of... It'll be nice if in June they really expand that stuff. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Crossing my fingers that, uh, yeah, that, that happens. And then I can punt the release of this until September and then bump them in iOS version to whatever iOS version the next one is. I forget what number we're on, but that's 17. The 17. Yeah. 17, 17 and 10. Or that's what, oh, um, yeah. Cause I've been looking at rumors and stuff. Cool. So should we I've talk? Can we, it. Yes. Next <laughs> can we talk topic. about pizza? Let's talk about pizza. Next topic. Let's go. Uh, Please. Please. Why why the heck are you doing this, Josh? You're not supposed to be doing this too. You already have I, a full plate. You can't have pizza on your plate too. I like self inflicted pain. Uh, <laughs> there's just something fun about There's just something fun about causing myself issues and then trying to solve them. Uh, so that's that's why I do it. I mean, I do. I'm this is awesome. I'm super excited about Deep Dish Swift. Are you is the is it sold out? Or can people still buy tickets? That is, people can still buy tickets. It is, we are nearing full capacity. So by the time um, we release this so episode, it's, we, this might be sold out, unfortunately. It might be sold out, but there, yeah, it's, I need to do some counts again and get like final numbers with everything that we're putting into the room. I did not expect the, the number of tickets to be sold that we actually had. I got a space that was big enough for I think 300 people in like classroom style seats. So like tables, chairs set up so you can have your computer there. I was going to be happy with 125 attendees. That was my goal. 125. Great. Like we have a lot of space. Like we can split the room for like meals and conference. And uh, no, we're at like, including speakers, we're nearing like 250 right now. And that's not including like, sponsors and that kind of stuff so we're pretty much nearing capacity which is amazing if this happens for a future deep dish version i'm gonna have to maybe get a bigger space 
but this is way way much way more than what I could have asked for the first year. Um yeah, like what's been the experience getting this conference, putting it together? Yeah, this is great. It's like planning a yeah. wedding for the most part. So like you you get a venue, you plan food, you the only main difference is sponsors? like speakers yeah. and sponsors yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And I did have swag at my wedding, so I guess there that's not that's still the same. But it was like yeah, it's 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 pretty much in the realm of planning a really big wedding, which me and my wife did plan like four four years ago. So it was it's been it's pretty close to that. The good thing is my wife is actually helping me with this. So like she's doing a lot of the venue vendor kind of part of it. Um and then I'm doing like speaker, sponsor. We've been teaming up on swag, so it would definitely not have been possible if she wasn't helping me. It probably could have been because I would have maybe had to find somebody else. But working with her, like in our same house, has just made this like an amazingly smooth thing to do since we started it in September. The kids are helping August. too, I assume. They're not what? helping. So no, no, they, I have amazing kids. So like they, they're actually like super well behaved most of the time, thankfully. So like whenever we have to do something deepish related, like they make it super easy to do. Just hand but, and play uh, pen. Yeah. They're not exactly, but yeah, they're they're not really like contributing anything major. But yeah, it's been a fun fun process. A little bit stressful times with like AV vendors oh, yeah. and changing prices on us. So that's probably been the most stressful thing is the AV vendor. But besides that, it's gone pretty smooth. Finding a, like picking the venue we wanted in Chicago like was actually kind of tough because Chicago is pretty pretty widespread. Yeah, that's like, true. It's a pretty wide city, and it, I would have loved to have it downtown Chicago, like next to the lake. But like for a first year conference, That's expensive probably. Uh, one, the price just—I couldn't do it. We didn't really have any starting budget from previous years, so it was all like we were like personally backing it when we like picked a location. But I also wanted to be easy to travel to, like from people mm-hmm. that were flying yeah. in. So I want to be closer to the airport, but there's no, there's not like a ton of cool places to do it close to the airport because it's pretty suburban. Okay. But the place that we picked is actually, it is a hotel that's close to the airport, but it is like a, a nicer, bigger hotel. It does have a great place to host the conference. They have a uh, shuttle going back and forth between the airport 24-7, okay. and it's about two miles from the airport. It's close to the train station. People are taking the train either like from the city or to the city if they want to go explore explore that it's by like an intersection of three different freeways so if you're coming from the north coming from the west coming from the south it's easy to get to so like the location was mainly for travel making it easier for our attendees to fly in and just be at the venue and then they can travel downtown if they want because the train is right there it was hard because there's so many different places but also we were it's hard because we're very limited with what we were looking for in terms of like price and location and travel ease. What uh what's a topic, speaker, or what's a thing that you really want to plug about this conference that you think is something people are gonna be really interested in? I think the indie dev specific yeah. day is unique. Yes. I've been talking with some people for years. It'd be cool to have an indie dev conference. But the hard part about an indie dev conference is like it there the indie dev community probably feels pretty small and it'd be hard to get people just to come for like that kind of mm. conference. 
But the cool thing about our community is like a lot of the iOS and Swift devs do indie dev on the side. There might not be full-time indie devs. It's not the right. only thing. But they're like, it does need to be like a pretty good lap of indie and iOS mm-hmm. and Swift. So I was, when planning this conference, most conferences start off with a workshop of some sort, like a Swift workshop or something like that. But I was like, we already have two days of Swift. Like maybe we can do an indie specific day on the front side. Make it a little more like indie business focused, indie journey, maybe like inspire more indie devs, get indies together to finally meet in, in one place. So I was like, we'll just do a half day of it. Like night, like four, four or five talks indie focused. And I think a lot of my initial attendees were indie devs. That was a thing that actually drew a lot of the initial sales because it was unique. So I think that's something that in future deep dishes, if we keep doing them, if we become, if we don't lose money on this thing, which I don't think we will, projections show like at least some small profit to go to our deep dish V2. But I think this indie day is probably going to stay because, like, it is our unique. Yeah, I mean, I remember release notes. Like, that was a great indie conference in Indianapolis, Chicago. I went to those. So it's nice to see something like that back again uh, for folks like us. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm yeah. really looking forward to that as somebody who's tried to be an indie dev to try to get <laughs> Same. I think my indie dev experience is not very net positive. I probably spent more money on stuff than I've made. But I don't care because it's it's fun, and I think I'm going to learn from this whole process yep. as well. So I have a lot of GitHub repos, so I have that. Indie day. I don't. Yes. I don't have I don't have stuff in the app store, but I have Agreed. a lot of GitHub repos. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being there. We're going to be driving up from Michigan, me and a few of the kids, and then I don't nice. think. I don't think I announced it in the last episode, but I, it will be, it will be a week long conference as I think I've told you, I, conference travel, yeah. travel, world, world tour. I want to do that. I want to call it the Empower Apps <laughs> World Tour. So I will be attending Deep like Dish, that, yeah. Deep Dish Swift, and then I will be flying to Italy to speak at Swift Heroes, which I'm really looking forward to speaking at. Congratulations, by the way. That's yes, awesome. Thank you. So yeah. And then of course the month after that, I'm planning. I am planning Dubbed to actually go to Dubbed Up. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, I'm excited. Busy month. Yeah, a month after a month after Italy. Yeah, yeah, a lot going on. Is there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to Deep Dish Swift? I just want to thank all of the like attendees and everybody who has hyped the event because I never thought like I would host a conference. I never thought it would be, it would, I don't want to say it's successful yet because the conference actually hasn't happened yet, but at our current stage, it actually feels like it's on the path to be successful with, we got an amazing set of 20 speakers coming from US, uh, Canada, internationally, which is cool. We have two coming from England, one from Austria, one from Germany. Oof, I think, hopefully that's all right. And then I guess two three from canada which i guess is international but when i'm in chicago it feels like we're part of the same country ish uh but in terms of attendees yeah we have i think 200 almost 210 tickets sold which is insane but the last number we checked there were people coming from eight 18 different countries 
which is also crazy. We have people coming from Japan, India, Australia, and then a bunch in Europe. That's amazing. So that's just, that's insane. There's a little bit of pressure there with people coming from that far to this conference. I want to make sure that it holds up. We also have a lot of local Chicagoans yep. coming, people that I haven't met before. So even though like they're close by, it'll be cool to actually like see them. Um, but yeah, like then, and then just thank our sponsors. Like our sponsors have been amazing. It definitely wouldn't have been possible without sponsors. Hosting a conference in the United States is not cheap, especially in Chicago. The sponsors are probably the ones that are really making this happen. I'll just throw them out here quick if that's okay. Revenue Cat is the Super Supreme sponsor. <laughs> Super uh, Supreme. I didn't actually ask them to. Yeah, I didn't actually ask them to sponsor. I was just like, hey, I'm going to throw a conference in April, in April, May. Is that okay? Just because, like, work schedule stuff and the time involved, they're like, yeah. But also, can we sponsor? I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Of course. But that wasn't my initial goal. I just wanted, like, approval in my work <laughs> schedule to throw a conference. But our supreme sponsors then we have, I'm going to see if I can do them all off the top of my head. We have Code Magic, uh, One Signal, uh, Runway, Emerge, uh, Ionic, and Century. Those are our supreme sponsors. They'll all be there to talk to at the event. We also have two topping sponsors, which would be App Figures and Stream. This is good. And then we have the single slide sponsors, which are Happy Scale, which is an indie app, and then Michigan Labs, which is a like a consulting company in I think Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Definitely Michigan, yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. Detroit. I think that's all of our sponsors. Hopefully I didn't miss any of them. I did it off the top of my head. But like without them, event would not be possible. So super thankful that I was able to connect with them and I'm excited for all of them to actually be there, talk to them, thank them, because without them, Deep Dish would not have happened for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Before we close out, I have one more question to ask you. It's an uncomfortable question. Yeah, yeah. We might have people who just... I love these. Let's go. It's People might unsubscribe after I ask this question. They might be very offended. (laughs) Trigger warning. There's rumor on the street that you are starting to like Kotlin. What's uh, yeah? What's wrong with you? No, what's just give backstory. I'm not like a pure Swifty. Obviously, you do Ruby uh, for Fastlane, so that makes sense. Yeah, my programming history. I started off with Visual Basic five, and then doing web stuff like Basic JavaScript, HTML, CSS. I did Java. I've been doing Java since two thousand five. What six? That's a lot of. That's a lot of years. Ruby since 2009, 2008, and then Objective-C 2000, 2010, 2011, and then Swift in 2015. So Swift is actually not like my longest language. Obviously, well, it hasn't it, been around. Yeah. It is new. But yeah, but like I'm not a language purist. Most people surprise if I say this, I might get some hate. I don't actually love code. Oh, interesting. Um, I like building okay. things. I like building things and code is, coding is the easiest way for me to do it. So I don't hate, I don't hate coding. I'm just not, my code doesn't necessarily need to be the, the best, the prettiest, the most efficient way of doing things. I just want to make things and have fun. Total, total things. sidebar, so, but like, uh, Swift, like I definitely see this yes. divide amongst developers of people. Like you don't hate code, right? But that's not your passion. Whereas oh, there's no. people who mm-hmm. like, 
are really into building apps and people who are into like really writing code. And I totally get it. And like, I, I almost took you as probably more yeah. of the developer type, but like, that's interesting. It makes sense if you're into indie apps that you're more into building things. Yeah. I wish I could get into code, like helping commit to like Swift and add things and improve yeah. there. But like that stuff is just like way out yeah. of my realm. Also, uh, I, so my languages, I just my like languages don't oh. inter, don't overlap with yours at all. I didn't never, I did very little Java and very little Ruby. So those okay. are two languages I never invested time in. Whereas I've done C sharp, PHP, JavaScript, TypeScript. Uh, PHP, yep. Yeah. I think C sharp's the only, like, .NET's the only one I really haven't touched. I did consulting for 10 years, so pretty much everything came right, my right. way. I just didn't do .NET because didn't run on Macs for most yeah, of the time, yeah. I don't think. So, so yes, I guess going back to your question is like, Swift and iOS and Apple is definitely like the realm where I live in. I'm a user. Those are the things that like I build for myself. I love the Swift iOS community, but for work, we've been working on the Android version or the next SDK of our Android version since I've been working on it since December. We released it last week and Kotlin is the language that we use for that. So I've been doing pretty much Kotlin on my full-time job since December and like I've dabbled in it. I've known I've been able to do like Java level Kotlin stuff, pretty much if statements okay. and prints. Like okay. that's pretty much it. But that's where I started off. But I've gotten into doing a bunch of different things, like like pretty much I don't want to say advanced Kotlin, but like more Kotlin style things. And it's actually a really fun language. It definitely doesn't feel like as heavy as Java. It has a little swift feel to it a little bit but i feel like it goes down a different path there's just a lot more to it than what i ever expected and in terms of like data structures and like different like helper methods that are built into things there's a lot of things that just make they just are super easy to do naming is super weird i had this i had this method that i wrote i changed some filters and some maps together like functional programming see if i can find this method name yeah, yeah, just like stuff that I would do in Swift that would make sense, like a filter and then a map, and then there was a first in there maybe or something like that. And this, and then Android Studio corrected me to use this method called first first map null or not Holy null. Mo- it was like the weirdest method name, but it made my code go from like this. People who are podcasting can't see it, but it like cut my lines of code down to like half, wow. to like three lines or something like that. So it was... It's really cool helper function that combined a bunch of stuff. The naming is absolutely horrid, but like it's fun to write Android Studio after you use it for a couple months is actually a pretty nice IDE. Like I'm I've been happy with it. And that's not saying that I'm going to go like ditch Swift and write Kotlin or Android apps in my free time, but it's been a lot more enjoyable than what I thought it would be. And if somebody is looking to get into something new, experiment with something new, Kotlin, I feel, is a fun thing um, to do. I'm definitely not What are hater. the three things that you wish Xcode or Swift would have that the whole and Google Android ecosystem has that you're like, I wish we had that? The – ooh, that is a, that is, that's a great question. I feel – so uh, – mm. Or why is that hard to answer? Android Studio? Yeah. So Android Studio, when you go into it, it's just, it feels so 
bloated feeling with all of these tools and things like that. You have these like side panels that can pop okay. out. But so when you first go into it, you like it's super intimidating and it just feels it feels gross. It doesn't have this nice like you user experience feel to it. Like Xcode is like nice and clean. But like the tools that are built into Android Studio, there are a ton there and they're actually like super easy to use and powerful. The profiler is like just connects to any existing app that is up there. You can view network requests super easily. You don't have to do anything. It sounds like, like they have instruments uh, in the Android uh, Studio. Proxy related instrument. Yeah. yeah, instruments just feel more natural built into the emulator and IDE. So that's a nice thing that's super easy to use. Logcat, which is the, like the, I think the OS log level type of stuff. Maybe if you're coming from Swift, like that's super easy to use. Logging, filtering, seeing what's getting logged is just easy. But like the things that, that are more complicated is there, the Android emulators are just a little bit slower, laggy mm, feeling. Okay. There's so many of them that you have to do, so many different. Android versions of those that yeah. you have to install, like six, yep. different, six different ones. Testing subscriptions in the emulator is also tough because there's no, like, store kit testing. There is okay. code, so you have to actually go through and have a Google account. So there are things that definitely aren't fun, but there are things, like, more from, like, a code standpoint, like tooling, profiling, that kind of stuff that, that, that is built in that does make it a little bit easier to do than what Xcode okay. offers. Interesting. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about your Android experience? I've been teasing a deep dish Kotlin. It's probably not going to happen, <laughs> uh, but uh, I just kind of, I just kind of like yeah, troll. Yeah, yeah. But uh, like, it is a fun language. I'm just not tied into the Android community, so hosting a conference like that is it's would like be eighty eighty totally percent of hosting conferences having the network for it. So yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely still going back to doing Swift iOS full-time after this but colin is definitely fun if you are an indie looking to go cross-platform like you're gonna have fun it is gonna be a slow process there's a bit yeah. of a learning curve because it does feel similar enough to swift but it's not so you're gonna get stuck trying to do if lets and guards those don't exist uh, but it's it's definitely a fun experience that i think most people if you are indie or just mobile dev give it a shot it's fun Anything else you want to talk about before we close out? I don't think so. This is awesome. I'm really glad I to think, have you on. I think I tapped I everything. I think so. I think so. Yeah, this um, is fun. Josh, where can people find you online? So Twitter at Josh G. Holtz, Mastodon at Josh G. Holtz at Mastodon.social. GitHub also at Josh G. Holtz if you want to see my GitHub commit history of stuff. And there's JoshHoltz.com. That one doesn't have the, the D, so that, that's weird. That's the only place that's different. <laughs> Indie Dev Monday. Uh, I mean, Twitter Mastodon, that's mainly where you can find me. Indie Dev yep. Monday. We'll have all the links in the show notes. Uh, what I've been meaning is throw an issue. Yes. Indie Dev Monday is going through a small hiatus as well. I need to actually post that, but I'm just waiting through like deep dishes over. I have some traveling I'm doing after that, so it'll probably pick back up in summer. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm not too hard to find. Awesome. Josh, I will see you in less than a month. Yeah, that's days. right. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for coming on. This is great. 
Thank you. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My Mastodon is at Leo G. Dion at C.IM. If you're watching this on YouTube, please and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. If you're listening to this on a podcast player, please take some time to give me a review. If there's something you want to talk about or if there's something you want to hear about, let me know. Please DM me or on whatever platform you prefer. That's it for me. I hope everybody has a good week and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye, everyone.